You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast, and you're about to get tangible tips for becoming your own private plant-based chef from other people's private plant-based chef. Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast, where I make healthy eating as fun as a party so you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. My guest today has been with me through thickening sauces and thinning them up. She's been by my side through good dishes and bad ones, through flipping veggies up in the air and dropping them down on the ground because we went to culinary school together. Lauren Kretzer is a stellar vegan chef and recipe creator, and I'm not the only one who thinks that. She's privately chefed for such high-profile clients that I'm not even allowed to say their names. Let's just say she's cooked for a dude whose movie screen father-in-law thought he was a real fucker. <laughs> but in addition to going into people's homes and cooking for them, which, if we're being honest, is everyone's dream to be on the receiving end of that, Lauren also lends her culinary talent to restaurants. She's cooked at the historical James Beard House and in a Michelin star restaurant called Anissa. Now she works as a contributing chef and recipe creator for the wildly popular vegan, fast, casual, and may I say insanely yummy restaurant by Chloe. If she has any spare time, which I find it hard to believe, she also cooks for her family. I know, that is a lot of cooking. I don't know how she does it. It's hard enough for me to make sure I make myself a breakfast, lunch, and a dinner all in one day. But in this conversation, I'm going to find out how the heck she does it. So let's get into it. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, so excited to be here. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to talk to you because I love your story, especially since you weren't always in the health and food world. You know, quite the opposite. You went from the stock market to veggie stock. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Tell us how and why you transitioned from your Wall Street job to being a private plant-based chef. Yeah, so um, I actually started in Wall Street right before that huge crash um, in 2008. And when it first started, I loved it. It was exciting. And I was doing all sorts of great stuff as a corporate recruiter for Morgan Stanley. And then as uh, the ish started to hit the fan, so to speak, (laughs) in the market, the job just started getting to be more and more of a grind. And every day I went into work wondering about my job security, seeing people laid off. And it was just super depressing. And even though I managed to maintain a position in um, financial services for a few years, it just got to the point where the spark was gone. And I found myself just thinking about food all the time on my commute to work, (laughs) during work. I may or may not have read food blogs the majority of the time when I was at work. And I was just realizing that I was doing a disservice to my company and also a disservice to myself by staying uh, somewhere where I didn't want to be. So I enrolled in culinary school pretty much just like that. And um, the next thing you know, I was sitting next to you talking about (laughs) flambeing and whatnot. (laughs) Yeah, and wearing these ugly hats that made us look bald and terrible. Yes, that was not uh, <laughs> not the most flattering outfit for sure. Oh man, and so yeah, we did culinary school together at the Natural Gourmet Institute, and we learned how to cook the heck out of every kind of plant, which was phenomenal, especially the eating portion of every class. Mm-hmm. But you know, afterwards, we all took different routes. I did 
well, what I'm doing now, you know, I make cooking videos and, and some easy recipes, but you, you went into private chefing. So how did you get into that? And what's that like? Describe a day in the life of a private chef. Sure. So yeah, when we were in culinary school, I think like for the first half of it, I didn't really know what I wanted to do yet. I was just kind of, I knew I wanted to be in food, but wasn't sure in what capacity. And then as we continued through the program, I realized that private work was really interesting to me because first of all, at the time I was a vegetarian, now I'm a vegan, but even as a vegetarian, I knew it would be difficult for me to work in a, in a restaurant. Um, just because most restaurants are not plant friendly. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're getting there, but at the time it was even, um, less so than it is now. And I, you know, I had really strong ethical reasons why I didn't want to be cooking meat. So I knew that I sort of needed to take the driver's seat of, of where, um, where and when I was going to be cooking. So I looked into private work and it really, it really immediately kind of struck me as something I, I would be good at because I'm sort of introverted by nature and I like to be kind of in my own, in my own head, in my own space. But I also really like providing a really personal service. So I wanted people um, to connect with me on, on a deeper level rather than just never meeting the people that were eating my food because oh, that's so nice. Yeah, no, food for me like has always been an expression of love. That's why I, I got into it. I grew up eating my grandmother's food and my mother's food, and um, it was always more than just sustenance to me. So mm. I wanted to perpetuate that in, in my career. So um, when Aww. I got started with private chefing, it, it just really it felt right. You know, it didn't feel like a job, and um, it was really wonderful. So wow. that's yeah. so cool. You know, for me, I, I couldn't be more different. I'm so afraid to like cook for people when they say cook me something like I have no fear making my cooking videos and I love sharing recipes on a digital platform but whenever I'm at somebody's house and they're like make us dinner I get terrified because I don't know for me I'm just so scared like I don't know how they like their salad dress I don't know <laughs> how they like this cooked I don't know what flavors they like like for me that's so much stress and pressure that I usually end up just making the most basic things like this past weekend I made um, a group of people I was with some guac and I was like that is a safe bet no one's gonna no one can hate guac I got this because yeah. I get so nervous so I'm it's so cool to hear that you are complete opposite that you love it and that it brings you joy and that you see cooking for other people as an expression of love. I think that's so nice. Yeah. I mean, I think like even when other people have cooked for me, you know, long before I became a chef, like I, I feel like I just always appreciate the effort. Like yeah. even if the food is bland or unimpressive, but most of the time it's not, most of the time it's actually pretty good. And, you know, I, I just think that there's just this appreciation from anyone receiving a home cooked meal. And if it's fancy, great. But if it's simple, I think like people appreciate that too. I think you're so. right. You're right. I think I'm putting too much pressure on myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm usually always right. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So describe a day in the, like, what's, what's that like being a private chef? Cause I mean, it's a luxury we all wish we could have. Even I would love to have a private chef. So tell me what you do. Um, well, my life now is really different from when I first started. So yeah. um, we'll get into this later, I'm sure. But right. now I'm a mom. But when I first started, it was my sole focus. Mm -hmm. um, so then I would have a client and I would go to work at their house pretty much every day. So I would get there and prepare whatever meals they needed that day and then anything that they would need for the next day. And um, now it looks a little different. So I'm still doing that. Um, 
on a much more occasional basis, but I'm also doing a lot of recipe development at home. And then the clients that I do have, I typically cook for them in my house and deliver it because I just, um, I'm trying to be home with my daughter as much as I can. So, um, I guess a a day in the life when I'm working is I still wake up between five and 6am. My little alarm clock wakes me up then. (laughs) And then personal um, alarm clock. (laughs) Yes, indeed. And I usually make us breakfast. Um, usually I have some lemon water and then for her, I make oatmeal of fruit or some waffles or pancakes. And then after that, while she plays, I'll kind of um, just lay out my day. So I'll see, okay, if I need to go to the grocery store that day, I'll make a shopping list. Or if I need to come up with a menu plan, I'll start brainstorming things that I want to be cooking and then make the grocery list after that. And then um, I usually go grocery shopping with her and then we come back and either when she's napping or when she's just occupied, I'll just start testing recipes. And I usually can test a couple a day. most days. And then the days that are a little harder, then, you know, I just wait until I have some free time and and do it. Then I cram it all in in one day. So it, it can be a grind, but it's, it's a lot of fun and I get to eat basically Mm. my work. (laughs) So it sort of uh, kills two birds with one stone. I get to do my job and then I also have dinner that night as well. So, um, just a lot of cooking. That's a lot lot of of cooking. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot of dishes, a lot of cooking. So when you go into like, so back in the day when you were at your peak private chefing, you know, pre-daughter, what did that look like? So would you go into someone's home in the morning and just stay there all day and make them breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Or were you making a lot of food at home? And like you said, you're doing now and delivering it to them. Like, you know, are there certain meals that people specifically ask for you to make them? Do they like handle breakfast on their own, but then you swoop in to save the day with lunch and dinner? Like, give me some insight into that. Sure. So every client is totally different. So I have some clients that basically just want you to make them dinner and leave it in the freezer. And then when they're busy one night, they'll pull it out and defrost it and eat Mm. that. Other clients want um, everything fresh, made the day of. Um, Some people want one meal a day. Some people want three meals a day and snacks. So it really varies based on their needs. So I've had pretty much every type of job. I've had jobs where I've gone to the same household every day and um, cooked from morning until night for them. And then even when I got home at night, I would continue to cook for them just so that they would have something really early the next day. Um, so say I started work at 7am and they wanted, you know, breakfast and snacks. It's really difficult to get to work that early and churn that all out within an hour. So I would do prep work the night before. So that obviously would be a really long day for me, but that was really the only way that I could kind of get the full spectrum of meals on the table on time. So I've done that. And I've also done the simpler ones where I just show up, I do grocery shopping usually for my client, and then I'll get to their house and prepare everything and package it the way that they want it packaged, whether it be in the freezer or just in a bowl on the counter waiting for them. And then uh, clean up and I go home. Man, that is the dream, really, to be on the receiving end of that. I mean, for you, but it's so funny. You're, it's the dream for you to do that, which I think is so cool. Is there a funny or crazy or stressful story that comes to mind throughout your days as a private chef? Like, is there just one story that you think is so worth telling and would make us laugh or go into shock about something that happened when you were working for somebody? Um, I mean, there's not one hilarious story or anything. It's just more like, just, it's crazy. Some of the homes I've worked in, Mm -hmm. you know, I, 
I get to work in these kitchens that look like they're out of architectural digest. They're just yeah. absolutely stunning, you know, $15 million homes. And oh I've also worked in regular kitchens as well. And <laughs> I appreciate both, but it's pretty awesome to be working at, with top of the line equipment. Um, so that's just something that I always kind of, people are always interested in hearing about that. So um, that's a pretty cool perk of my job. But uh, on the other end, I mean, there's been an instance where <laughs> I cut myself pretty badly <gasps> at someone's house. Oh. So that was kind of embarrassing. I was like bleeding. Oh. And uh, yeah, so that that was memorable. And that client actually was like trying to help me bandage it up. And he was the um, the owner of a, of a pretty well-known historic apparel company. And um, so, yeah. And I still have the scar from that one. Oh, both, man. Both, both both emotional and physical scars <laughs> from that. <laughs> Battle wound. Yeah. Oh, man. I wish you could tell us the cool people you've cooked for. I wish you could, but I know you can't. So we will move along. And I'm curious, <laughs> how is cooking for yourself different from cooking for someone else? If, if there are major differences. I mean, <laughs> like when you cook for yourself, at least I do, I just kind of like throw things in and just kind of, you know, do and there's less pressure. Have you found that it's very different cooking for other people? Um, yeah, I definitely do. It's it's funny because a lot of times when I eat lunch or breakfast or dinner, even at home, I'll think to myself, God, like this is so different from what I would make for my clients. I would never make my clients oh, this. And it's not because Yeah, and it's not because it's not good. It's just that like my food, I just love simple food. So mm -hmm completely happy with a bowl of brown rice with some sauteed broccoli and tempeh on top. Oof. And that to me is like, a delicious <laughs> I feel like to serve that to a client, like, I don't know, I just feel like if they're paying me money, I should make something a little bit more involved, something that they might not think to make for themselves. Um, so if they request something simple like that, and I have had clients that love that sort of thing, then I will absolutely make it for them. But usually I try to make it a little bit more chefy just so that they mm. feel they're getting a little bit more for their money. How cool. Um, yeah. So just really simple food, um, at home. And then I also am a lot slower, like literally physically slower. I just take my time when I'm making food for myself and it'll take me twice as long just because oh. I'm not like madly trying to fit in six different meals in a day. So. Interesting. Interesting. Did you ever did you ever have clients who's like for dinner each kid and family member wanted something different? Yes, I definitely have. <laughs> and um it's a challenge. You know, you have kids who literally will not eat anything. I had a client once and she was really lovely and she was super into healthy eating and she wanted, you know, vegan, gluten free, soy free, you know, the whole gamut of, of healthy foods. And then she's like, Oh, but my my husband loves like steak and potatoes and I know you don't cook steak, so can you just make it taste like steak? And, oh. <laughs> and then my kids don't what? eat anything and like but we all want the same thing and I'm sitting there like oh, oh my god oh my goodness. <laughs> how did you do it I mean you just really try to brainstorm you're like what's what's like the simplest thing that will kind of make everyone happy and usually it's something like gluten-free pasta with like some sort of interesting sauce on top but you know there are definitely some misses like it's really difficult if not impossible to to you know, just please so many palates, especially little kids. So, um, usually I think deconstructed meals work really well in that case. What's so, that like, mean? In, so like, instead of like putting enchiladas on the table, for example, you'll have like the tortillas and then you'll have like the black beans and uh, the avocado, like all in separate bowls. So that way people can assemble with what they like best and they oh, can leave cool. out the stuff that they don't want. So this way there's food for everybody. It's all healthy components. So even if you're only eating say two out of the 10 things I've put out, like it's still probably fairly decent 
And, um, you know, you can just please the pickiest of eaters in that way. I find that that works really well. Wow. That's genius. I love that. Like DIY meals. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. I mean, that's it's, so smart. it's fun for kids too. Yeah. And it's always nice. Oh, it's so smart. So that's perfect because I was just going to ask you what skills have you developed as a private chef that could help the at home chef, like my listeners and and myself. And I guess that's a great skill that you develop that to please picky palates, you can make these deconstructed meals. That's awesome. Are there any other skills that you can think of that could help the at home chef? Um, yeah, definitely. Like on a, on a cooking level, I would say like, I usually have a, like a sauce and a soup in my fridge at all times. And I feel like that is, you can make really fast meals out of those two things. So I'll batch cook a soup and either put half of it in the freezer or have it in my fridge and then a sauce, like a tahini sauce or a pesto. And that way, you know, all you have to do is boil the pasta and then you have the topping or all you have to do is steam the veggies and then you have the topping. So those two things I think are important. Like no matter how time strapped you are, you probably have the time to make a sauce like for, you know, in 15 seconds in your blender. And then the soup takes a little longer, but it's more just like chopping and then you throw everything in the pot and you can walk away and forget about it for, for 45 minutes. So I would say those two things I've learned to do for myself. I started doing them for clients and now I do them for myself. Mm-hmm. And then um, from a strategy standpoint, I think just being really organized and being prepared. So um, it's impossible to come home from a long day at work or whatever it is that people do throughout their day and start dinner at eight o'clock. And mm-hmm. so you, you, you hear this time and time again that you have to strategize, you have to prep, um, prepare stuff in advance. And, you know, people don't want to do it. But the truth is that that's the only way a really healthy dinner is going to happen. And you just have to have menu plan. You have to have your grocery list. And, um, some people like to do it all in one day. I know some people like to take Sunday and do it then other people do it piecemeal. But I think as long as you have an idea of what you're making throughout the week, even if it's a loose idea and having the, um, the ingredients on hand, I know that I would be a total hot mess in my job if I didn't do that. It's, it's a, my number one requirement is I have to be organized. Oh man. Well, that, Please, can you tell us more about that? Because I don't meal plan. I'm very much like a wing it kind of gal. I, you know, I make sure my thing is I make sure my home is always stocked with really easy, quick things. So, you know, I always have sweet potatoes. I always have tempeh. I always have tofu. I always have quinoa and frozen veggies and a, a lentil or brown rice pasta. And so I can really quickly throw things together, but mm-hmm. I've never gotten into meal planning. So what tips do you have for meal plan? Like, what does that look like? You said something about a Sunday meal or a piecemeal. Did you say that? Yeah. Piecemeal just means like, you know, whenever you have the free time. So not necessarily all at once, but like if you have an hour on Monday morning, do your menu planning then. And then if you have two hours on Tuesday evening, do your grocery shopping then rather than, you know, just taking eight hours out of your day to do it all. Right. So when you say meal planning, do you literally for yourself not for your clients in your own life. And would you recommend Mm -hmm. this for everyone listening to literally look at a calendar and then say, okay, Monday night, this is what we're going to have for dinner. These are the ingredients I need to make that happen. Tuesday night, this and and so on. Is that what you would recommend? Yeah. I mean, if you can, I, I, I'm going to admit, I don't do it all the time. So I definitely have nights where I, you know, I put my daughter to bed and I have no idea what I'm making for dinner. And I just try to wing it those nights Mm -hmm. and I just try to do the best I can out of what you said, you know, I have brown rice or a tempeh in in the fridge, I'll just think, okay, what can I make with this? But the days, the weeks where I have more time and I can dedicate it to that, I find that it's such a relief. And 
I usually do take some time to think, okay, um, I think loosely in themes. So I'll think like Monday night, we're going to have some sort of pasta. Tuesday night, we're going to have some sort of Mexican food. Wednesday night, we'll do like a stir fry. And I'll just have a general blueprint. Um, I love and then, that. Yeah, and then I'll fill in the Thanks. gaps from there. So that way, you don't eat the same things every single week. You know, you're still having the predictability of stir fry. But one week, you can do it with different veggies and tempeh. And the next week, you can throw in beans instead of tempeh and just kind of work with it from there. And then once you have that framework lined up, then you'll start thinking, okay, I, I need to pick up XYZ at the supermarket this week. And it just, it, it becomes a lot easier and it starts to become second nature. Wow. I love that idea of themes. I love it. Yeah. It's so yeah, smart. I have like, yeah. I have like a big list on my fridge of like, I would say probably 20 themes that oh way. Like when I'm cooking for myself and my clients, I just like look at the list and I'm like, okay, Spanish night, what am I making? <laughs> would you be able to take a photo of that and we can put it in the show notes? Sure. Absolutely. Oh my God. I think that'd be so awesome. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's super helpful. Cool. Awesome. I can't wait. So along those lines, I'm wondering if you have a favorite piece of kitchen equipment. Um, I'm definitely drinking the Vitamix Kool-Aid. So I love my <laughs> Vitamix. I know that they're pricey, but I find it to be an, an amazing investment. I use it all the time for soups and um, cashew cream sauce basically gives me life. I don't know what I would do without something that could blend up cashews into liquid because I make all sorts of like Alfredo sauces and nacho cheese out of that and everything. So love my Vitamix. And um, beyond that, I would say my chef's knife is actually probably even higher on the list. I I travel with it. Like if I'm going to a family vacation and I get there and there are dull knives, like I just want to scream. So I do too. I travel with it. Oh my God. I cannot deal. And you know, when people tell me like, Oh, like, you know, but I found this knife for $20. Like I understand like, you know, we're all, everyone's trying to save money here and there. But if, if you're serious about cooking and especially if you're serious about trying to make more nurturing, delicious, healthy meals, like it's something that you need to invest in. And whether it be something that you save up for, ask for a gift, I think it's the number one worthwhile piece of equipment in anyone's kitchen. Do you have a recommendation or two that we could put in the show notes for people that want to take it up a notch? Yeah, absolutely. So my favorite brand of knife is Shun, um, S-H-U-N. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like an East East meets West style knife. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are my absolute favorite because they're super sharp and they have a nice feel in your hand. But um, knives are a really personal thing. Some people like really heavy knives. And then you want to go to some of the German brands, which I can send for your show notes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's all different brands. So I would just recommend going to like a William Sonoma or a Sur La Table and just asking them to try out their knives. And they'll usually actually bring out a cutting board and a vegetable and you can actually huh. cut with it. Yeah. And that way you can choose what you like best. Funny. I still have my, I use the knife that I got as my graduation gift from culinary school. I don't even know what it is, but I freaking love it. <laughs> I love yeah, it. As long as it's sharp, you know. It's very sharp. It's great. <laughs> That's awesome. So I want to go back to two things that you said food wise, because I'm really interested. You mentioned that you always have a sauce in your fridge at all times. Is there a particular sauce recipe that is your go to? Um, I would say I have like three or four that I typically make. One is like a basic tahini and I don't really like have um, measurements, but it's just tahini sauce with garlic and some lemon juice. And then sometimes if the mood strikes me, I'll throw in like some, a fresh herb, like parsley or or basil. Um, and I just like whiz that up right in the blender. Um, I make pesto a lot. Mm -hmm. So especially in the summertime and not just basil pesto, but I'll make pesto out of, um, you know, mint or 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Any herb that you have laying around, just throw a nut in there. And then yeah, you gotta sage. Pesto. No, just kidding. That's so, <laughs> so, yeah, I make pesto. And then, um, like I was saying before, I make a lot of cashew-based sauces because they're really creamy and luscious and they kind of make anything taste decadent. So I make a cashew nacho cheese sauce and I throw in some smoked paprika and chili powder and um, that's really good on veggies or on top of tortilla chips or on top of your tacos. Mm. Usually I have that. Mm, we're recording this at 1030 in the morning, but I am now really craving nachos. <laughs> Come oh, on over. I'll make man. Oh, that's awesome. And it's funny because I have the same staple sauces too. I always have a tahini sauce. I make a tahini miso sauce and then I always have a pesto. It's pesto, almost as if we were trained together. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> so speaking of recipes, you now create recipes for the amazing restaurant by Chloe, which is just like taking the vegan world by storm. But, you know, not even just the vegan world, because it's one of these restaurants that is obsessive, obsessive, that doesn't make sense, but is adored by even meat eaters. It is breaking down the barriers and it's everyone's flocking to it. I mean, the branding is top notch, but the food is just incredible. And I, when you told me that you now are working for chef Chloe and, and creating recipes and, and you said you're being like a guest chef there or something you can explain in a sec, but I was in complete shock because that is like the coolest job. So tell us more about what you do, how you started and, you know, let's dive into what you do for Buy Chloe. Yeah, it's it's a total dream come true. Oh. And it, it kind of came out of nowhere. And I'm just so grateful to them for, for hiring me for this position because it's really opened up a lot of doors for me. And it's kind of allowed me to be creative in ways that I wasn't giving myself permission to be, um, I guess, in terms of risk taking in the kitchen. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, in terms of how I started, I was on vacation with my family a few months ago in Oregon. And I was checking my email and I got this email from E Squared Hospitality. And I was like, what is this? And I Googled it, of course. Uh -huh. And I saw that they own some steakhouses in <laughs> Manhattan. And I was like, I don't know what, what these people can want from me. Like, I'm a vegan chef. And this, I thought it was pretty clear on my website. But then as I continued my research, I saw that they own by Chloe. I'm like, oh, maybe that's why they're calling. So I um, reached back out to them and I had a great conversation with their CEO and um, their head of PR. And they just told me that they were looking to really take by Chloe to the next level and that they wanted a, a small team of vegan chefs to um, help them get there, to develop recipes and to be spokespeople for the restaurant and to um, create market specials and all sorts of fun things. And so they asked me, would you like to come on board? And I basically didn't even have to think twice about it. I have the it. chills <laughs> right now. I, I legitimately have the chills on my whole body. That is like <laughs> to get something like that, that's just your dream job. And they've reached out to you. Yeah. I was like, how did, how how did they find like, you? I'm kind of like, you know, I, I feel like I've been successful in my career, but I'm not very quote out there. Like I don't necessarily have a huge social media following. I'm more like behind the scenes kind of girl, but, right. um, they had somehow stumbled upon my website and they liked what they saw. And, um, I guess after our conversation, they thought it would be a good fit. And then, you know, once I cooked for the first time for them, I was kind of nervous. I'm like, yeah, tell us that about that. Liked. What does that mean? What did you do? Did you go in? No, I just had recipes and developed them for them. And then basically I would, you know, send the recipes over to their executive chef and mm. he would um, execute them for 
for me. And then they, you know, they liked my recipes. So I actually physically have not been in their kitchens, oh. but you know, my recipes are being taught in by Chloe cooking classes and what? they're on the menu and, um, they're on the blog. So I feel, you know, it's been wonderful. And, um, I just feel very grateful, like I said, for it. So, by the way, guys, she, by Clover, Chef Chloe is a fellow alumni of our culinary school. She is. She is. And she's actually someone that I've looked up to, you know, since graduating. I remember so, that. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, I've, I've cooked out of her cookbooks many times and um, she's just, she's just awesome. So, you know, she started this restaurant and I just feel, I feel very lucky to, to be there right alongside her. <laughs> so. Well, I'm personally stoked because we just put, they just put up a signage for the newest location in Brooklyn, literally on my street. I am not joking. Oh, wow. It is on my street. Um, wow. I, the signage just went up like a couple of days ago. So you'll be joining my neighborhood. Your Brussels sprouts will be in my belly really soon. <laughs> <laughs> they will. They will. Yeah, they're, they're opening up a few new uh, New York City locations. So we're taking over the world. Oh, my God. Well, we're going to have to go there as soon as it opens. Definitely. You and I. Um, so yeah. tell me about how you create recipes. I think that that is always really fascinating to hear. So when you say that you've been creating recipes for them, like what does that look like? What are you doing? Yeah. So recipe development is something I didn't really do too much of before I started this job. And um, one of the reasons why I'm grateful for, for this position is that, like I was alluding to earlier, it's kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone. So mm. I'm someone where before this, I had my arsenal of things that I was good at and I would execute those you know, well, but I wouldn't really deviate and try to um, I didn't really try new things that often. And I was becoming really frustrated as a chef. And I was thinking, you know, I have formal training, I want to, I want to do more with what I know. And I just didn't really know how to get from point A to point B. But then mm. when this job started, um, I was kind of forced to yeah. create new things and go beyond what I already was comfortable with. So I found that what's worked for me is to just be confident and you can't be afraid to fail. So there are going to be days and there have been days for me where, you know, I, I have to try several times and I spend money on ingredients and I spend valuable time and wash a million dishes and Ugh. things don't, and things don't Stupid turn out. dishes. Yeah, exactly. It's so, the worst I mean, part. <laughs> I, it's totally the worst part. I hate dishes. But anyway, so um, if you have some time on the weekends, you know, just allow yourself to be a little messy in the kitchen and experiment. And if you fail, then you learn from that failure. And if you succeed, you're going to be super proud of yourself. And I find that practice makes you more knowledgeable and it gives you confidence. And it's funny because actually right before this call, I was reading um, the October issue of Bon Appetit. And I was reading the editor-in-chief, um, Adam Rappaport's editor's letter, and he said something that just really struck me. He said, if you follow a recipe to a T, you stop trusting yourself and you only trust the recipe. Mm -hmm. And you're basically not learning how to cook and you're just following instructions. And I think that that's so true because recipes, they provide comfort, but they're also so limiting. You know, they, they make you feel like you can't do it, that you have to follow this exactly. And there's no freedom in that. And there's no fun in that after a while. I think you know, there's a time and a place for recipes, but you know, if you really want to enjoy your time in the kitchen, you have to give yourself permission to move beyond that. I could not agree more. I mean, I felt before we went to culinary school, I would white knuckle every recipe. I was so literal that like I would double check, triple check. Did, okay. Does this say a quarter teaspoon or so or a half? Wait, are you sure? Double check. Like everything. That's probably a bad example because you can't oversell things. But, um, <laughs> but with everything, like every single ingredient, 
I would just be so freaked out. Oh my God, am I supposed to stir it for 30 seconds or 45? And just, I was so, like you said, just like clinging to the recipe and going through culinary school, not that everybody gets that opportunity, but just being more in the kitchen, just cooking more gave me what you're saying, the opportunity to just sort of like let go and allow mistakes to happen. And it's kind of silly to think that cooking like mistakes happen and, and it's a creative journey, but it really is. It, it yeah. is a creative process. And it's, it's very interesting that, that something that we all do universally around the entire world is such an interestingly creative project. Right. Yeah. And I think that people will enjoy being in the kitchen more because like you said, not only will they not be white knuckling it through their recipes, but once the dish is done, I think you, you can be so much more proud of something that you had a say and how it turned out. So, mm-hmm. you know, you chose the ingredients, you designed the spices that went into it. And, you know, it's really yours at that point. And that's the recipe that you can feel proud about passing out to people after a dinner party or to your kids yes. or whatever, and like, because you created it. And, you know, it's, it's just really exciting when you can start to do that. And you just have to give yourself permission. It's not a matter of going to culinary school. It's just giving yourself permission to be a little bit more creative and to trust yourself and to trust your intuition. You're so right. And when I put up recipes for things like granolas, particularly, or ball snacks or sauces, I always, always encourage everybody to do it yourself. Like customize this for your own you know, taste buds. So if you don't like raisins, don't use raisins, use dried apricots, like whatever it is. And I always, you know, and whoever's, everyone who's listening, please, you know, do what you like. Do, don't white knuckle any recipes, unless it's like a very intense baking recipe where like you really, it's a matter of science, you know, don't, don't stress about it. Just do what makes your taste buds happy. Yeah, that's the disclaimer. You're right. Baking, there's not yeah. as much wiggle room, which is why I don't really bake that much. But oh, yeah, with everything with everything else for sure. I think customizing it is is a good way to to start getting some more com- confidence in the kitchen. Yeah. So, is there a particular recipe that is in a by Chloe restaurant right now that is yours that you are so proud of and want everybody to try? Yeah. So right now, um, the market special for October is my recipe. It's, um, like a seared Brussels sprout with a garlic caper aioli and some lemon zest and smoked paprika. So I wanted it to have like kind of like a Spanish tapas feel to it and, um, people are loving it. So I don't know how long it'll be on the menu cause it's a special, but mm. I'm sure there are more to come. <laughs> I'm loving it. The sound of it and the photos of it. And now I want to go get it. <laughs> so you also have a relatively new addition to your family. And I assume having your daughter has made home cooking more challenging. You know, even me having a puppy has made my life much more challenging. So do you have any tips for still cooking really healthy meals while taking care of a child? Yeah. So she, um, she's almost two, she'll be two in December and it in many ways has made cooking more challenging because I only have a certain amount of free hours in a day and hours is generous. Um, sometimes it's like free, free minutes in a day. And a lot of times I'll be in the middle of cooking something and she'll need me. And it's difficult to turn the flame off of something and and tend to a child for an indefinite period of time. So it's definitely limited me. Um, in some ways, but in other ways, it's kind of allowed me to enhance what I do because I've learned 
to cook for a child's palate, which is something I didn't oh. really have direct experience with before her. Mm. So now I cook for her. And um, it's also like huge, huge, huge incentive to create even more healthy food. I mean, I was a healthy eater before she was born, but now even more so I just feel what I put in her mouth and into her little body is it's mm. got to be it's got to be really good for her. So I try even harder to steer away from processed packaged things. And I take the time and I can justify it, you know, even though it takes more time to make something from scratch, you know, she deserves that. And I try, I try really hard. So, um, you know, of course there are nights where she has a frozen veggie burger. Of course I defrost it first. um, (laughs) Yeah. But I try to get one with minimal processed ingredients. So I know you like sunshine burgers. I I do. I was just going to say. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I feed those to her sometimes. And, you know, when I have more time, then I'll make her something from scratch. So it's, it's all a balancing act as, as mothers like to say, and it's, it's true. You just have to, you know, take the time when you get it. And when you don't, you have to forgive yourself and move on. What is a child's palate? You mentioned a child's palate. What does that mean? Well, they obviously can't really eat spicy food. I um, also tone down the salt quite a bit when I'm cooking for her. And I'm trying to introduce her to some foreign spices because I want her to like ethnic food because I love ethnic <laughs> food. And it's just going to make my life easier. So sometimes I'll I'll put things like cumin or coriander in her food, but I'll try to just make it less so that it's not so in your face. And um, I think, as I was saying before, the deconstructed meals, I try Mm. to have just simple things rather than, you know, something more complicated that way. She can kind of pick at what she likes and um, explore a little bit. Oh, cool. I want you to cook for me. I wish I was your child. (laughs) That'd be the best. That'd be weird. (laughs) That would be kind of strange, but weird, but awesome. Yummy. Amazing. (laughs) Awesome. So I'm wondering if you have a favorite plant party restaurant and a favorite plant party dish at that restaurant. Um, Let me see. So now I feel like ever since I had my daughter, there have been so many new vegan restaurants opening up in New York that I'm dying to try. So my, um, my experience like is dated back to when I actually had a life. Um, I do love the classic candle 79. You can't really go wrong there. I mean, everything they do is so good. Um, I think the last thing I had there might've been like a Moroccan chickpea patty or Moroccan chickpea cake. And it was so delicious. Um, it's very flavorful. So I love that. And, um, I actually really love by Chloe. I'm not trying to like, Oh, of course. I was waiting for that. (laughs) Yeah. No, I love their food even before I started working for them. And, um, they make this Thai salad. That's delicious. It's got this like sriracha tempeh and a peanut dressing and it's just awesome. And then they also do a classic chocolate chip cookie. Not, I haven't tried the gluten-free one, but I'm talking about the regular glutenful one. <laughs> and it, it, it tastes like the Otis Spunkmeyer cookies of my middle school days, which is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, A, you do love your ethnic food because both dishes you just mentioned, aside from the cookie, were ethnic, Thai and Moroccan. Very funny them. way to stay on brand. <laughs> and B, yeah, by Chloe is phenomenal. Her hostess cupcakes really taste like hostess cupcakes. Her burger really tastes like like kind of like a fast food burger, which is a good thing. You know, that's why yeah. she's being she's so successful because she's emulating um, our unhealthy animal ridden foods in a animal free way. And right. the Caesar salad, I just got to say. Oh my god, it's so props good. To the Caesar yeah, she, salad. She's she's basically doing Shake Shack without the guilt. Yes. 
So it's what's not to love about that. Right. Absolutely. So um, do you have a favorite plant that you just love in your life? And what is your favorite way to make that plant? Um, I feel like such a nerd. I, I love broccoli. <laughs> I just like, I, I, I would eat it raw out of the fridge. I saute wow, it with really? lots of garlic and crushed red pepper. I um, roast it until it gets like really crispy. So I would say broccoli is probably my desert island vegetable. Wow. Um, I also, I know like kale is like borderline, like n- not cool anymore because <laughs> so many people are eating it. But like, I've been, I've, been, I've been eating kale a long time. My parents Before it was cool. Yeah, my parents became vegetarians in the 80s, and I became vegetarian then too. And they started bringing home kale like around then. So I was an original kale eater, <laughs> I'm proud to say. You should be um, proud. You're yeah, not a trend I follower. Just, oh, I, I love kale. So yeah, I could eat What's that your favorite day, way to eat kale? I, I love kale salad, just mm, massaged massage. with a really good dressing and some like pumpkin seeds in there. Mm. And, New yeast? Oh, oh yes. Yes, yeah. definitely. <laughs> What's your massage dressing for that? Your go-to? Um, usually tahini or I'll do like an offensive amount of when I'm cooking, when I'm cooking for myself, I'll do like an offensive amount of chopped raw garlic and, um, nutritional yeast and a squeeze of lemon and Mm. olive oil. And that is just so good. And it's so easy. And everybody has those things in there. Well, most people have, yeah, not everybody has nutritional yeast, but a lot of people do. So I I do that. That sounds so good. Yeah. And I want nachos, kale salad. This is making me hungry. (laughs) (laughs) So finally, my last question, I think we'll see is, do you have a favorite book that has helped you become healthier in some way? Um, Yeah, I actually have a few. I have a huge library of books that pertain to healthy eating and healthy cooking. And I would say my favorite, the one that kind of impacted me the most is probably Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer. And it just um, opened my eyes to the production of a lot of common foods in in the States and worldwide and just kind of what goes into the food that ends up on our plate. And I think that that really changed me profoundly. Um, So I would say if anyone hasn't read that, I recommend that. And then also um, T. Colin Campbell's China Study, again, for the same reasons, I think um, just eye-opening in terms of how I want to eat, how I want my children to eat. Um, so those two from a health perspective and then from a cooking perspective, um, one of my favorite people and my mentor is actually Amy Chaplin. And she mm-hmm. wrote the James Beard Award winning cookbook at home in the Whole Food Kitchen. And first of all, it's just a stunning book. It's like a coffee table mm-hmm. cookbook. It's just so beautiful. The photography is amazing. But she just cooks from the heart and she cooks with genuine passion. And everything she makes is so beautiful and so nurturing and healthy. And she goes into great detail in her book about how to stock a healthy pantry and um, just the steps you can take to live your healthiest life with your food. And I would say that is a must on my, on my shelf. It's, oh, it's a cool. great book. I don't have that one. Shocking. Cause I have almost <laughs> every healthy cookbook on the planet. So oh, it's I'll have to add that, that to my coffee table. <laughs> yes. Very, very good book. That made me think while you were talking, do you, when you were, or when you cook for other people, do you, plate your dishes like you were in a restaurant? Um, sometimes. So I used to have a client in Manhattan that she would throw these like super fancy dinner parties. And, um, I would definitely plate restaurant style for that. Cause it was like a white glove service type dinner party and she Ooh. would have them regularly. So I would try to get wow. creative with that. No but pressure. 
Yeah, I know, right? But it was it was fun. I actually like plating. But then with my other clients, like usually they just want it served family style. So I I mean, of course, I don't slop it on the plate. I try to make it look decent, but Mm. um, I'm not making like tulips out of lettuce or anything. (laughs) And a garnishing, or well, maybe you are. Yeah, food presentation (laughs) is a thing. It's its own art. It is. It definitely is. Very. I hated that. That was my least favorite part of culinary school. Yeah, I think if you have have the desire to do it, then more power to you. But it's 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 a lot of extra work. So yeah, I just like the taste. That's all that matters, right? And the yeah, health benefits. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, they say we eat with our eyes first, so that's why I try Is to make it look semi decent. I think so. No one wants to eat a big pile of gray something. So yeah. <laughs> you got to brighten it up with some green. That's true. It's just so much pressure, yeah. especially with I, Instagram. Well, you don't have to Instagram all your food, which is why I don't post that much. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, true. You don't. Yeah. Thank you for telling me that because I thought I did. <laughs> no, no. I give oh, you permission not to. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And also, thank you for coming on this show. This has been a power 40-ish minutes of amazingness. So many awesome tips. I cannot wait for that photo of your food themes. I think that's going to be quite life-changing for me and everybody listening. So where can everybody find more about you and all the things that you offer? Because it's not just private chefing and it's not just recipe development. You do private cooking classes, which that sounds awesome. You do boot camps for cleansing and eating healthfully and nutrition coaching and pantry detoxes and so much stuff. So where can everybody find more about you? Sure. So my website, laurenkretzer.com, um, lists a little bit more about me and my services and you can kind of uh, check that out and see if you might be interested in any of those things. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram at chef Lauren Kretzer. Very cool. Mm, yummy. I love all your photos. Yesterday's or the other day, you know, the other day when you posted the um, kettle corn, I was drooling. So you're awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. I think everyone's going to love this. And thanks for making eating more plants a little bit more fun and tasty. Thank you, Tali. I'm so excited to be on the show and I can't wait to listen to more episodes. So Yay. thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. I hope you're feeling like it's more easy to cook more frequently for yourself than you might have thought. Just have some sauces, some themes, and some knives, and you are good to go. You can also go find all the tips and ideas mentioned in this episode over at partyinmyplants.com slash three.